0: Snuff production.
1: So Jan Fran, if the election was a mountain, a very long, slow mountain, we'd be about halfway.
0: We'd be about halfway, that's right. Puffin We're... and puffin. <laughs> Trudging up that mountain slash hill. We're three weeks in, there's three weeks to go. Look, so far we've had some sniping, a campaign launch, a gaff, a COVID diagnosis mm. and plenty of pictures on how to make the country better and that is just the major parties.
1: Yeah, so where are we at? What have the surprises been? And if there's an interest rate rise today, what is going to be the impact of that?
0: Dump, dump, dum. we are going to stop down with our resident political guru, Annika Smithhurst and we're going to take stock of the campaign so far.
2: Both parties actually have incredibly low votes. Neither of them could win on their first preferences across the board. They're both going to rely on preferences everywhere. It may be an independence could end up deciding this thing.
1: So, even Annika Smethurst has been surprised during this campaign. So, find out what has surprised her in the second half of this briefing. First, today's headlines it is Tuesday, May 3.
0: Well, we did hint. it would happen, and we're going to hint again, interest rates, I shouldn't be laughing because it's not funny at all. They're likely to rise today for the first time in a decade, Tom, a decade.
1: Yeah, bad news if you owe the bank lots of money. Hmm, no comment. The cash rate is set to move from the record low of 0.1%, which was set back in November 2020, likely to go up to 0.25%. And uh, this is the first increase since 2010.
0: Yeah, so with the change happening during a federal election campaign, I think both sides are scrambling at the moment to try and head off the news. It's not about politics. It's not about me. It's not about Mr Albanese. It's about Australians themselves. Scott Morrison,
1: here's what Labor had to say.
0: Whether the Reserve Bank raises interest rates this week or next month... Scott Morrison's economic credibility is in tatters. Mm. It's interesting hearing uh, Scott Morrison say it's not about politics, it's not about me. I remember towards the end of last year, he was sort of out campaigning on being the party that was going to keep interest rates low on the cost of living down. And he'd said that if power changes hands, you're likely to see costs rise and interest rates rise. So Um, he
1: was politicising interest rates?
0: He certainly was politicising interest rates. And, you know, I mean, I think he sort of is borrowing a little bit from John Howard in 2004, who did that. He won the election. Things are very different from what they are in 2004. I'd argue they're quite different from what they are in November 2021.
1: Well, they're quite different from 2007, where they went up at the end of John Howard's uh, term, and it was his final term not just as Prime Minister, but as an MP. He was booted out of politics. Here's another grab from Scott Morrison. I think it gives you a sense of a bit of frustration that he's feeling around this issue.
2: You guys always think, see things through a
0: totally political lens. I don't. And Australians don't. You don't? You do. Are you sure you don't?
1: I think that shows that he's feeling frustrated by this. He doesn't want this to be happening during election campaign when he's been campaigning on his... Ability to run the economy because this is going to hurt people's hip pocket.
0: And the Prime Minister, still on politics in the campaign, has ruled out holding a referendum on enshrining an Indigenous voice to Parliament if he is re-elected.
2: It's not our policy to have a referendum on the voice. So why would I be doing that?
1: Yeah, so he was asked about this because of a new Indigenous-led campaign to make the referendum an election issue, which it hasn't really been because both sides have a sort of similar Stands, but there are some key differences.
0: An Indigenous voice to parliament is a body, essentially, that would be enshrined in the constitution. It was one of the key elements of the Uluru Statement from the Heart in 2017. That was a landmark agreement by a wide group of Indigenous leaders. The body would give Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, essentially, the ability to provide advice on policies that affect their lives.
1: Labor have committed to holding a referendum to enshrine the voice in the constitution if the referendum was successful. Um, But the government's position is a little confusing. So initially at the time, Prime Minister Turnbull rejected the idea. Then right after the 2019 election, they promised a referendum on constitutional recognition in this term of parliament. Now, as we all know, that hasn't happened. At the same time, though, they have been working on developing a model of how a voice to parliament would work, but it wouldn't be enshrined in the constitution. They would introduce it through legislation in parliament, which is not what the Indigenous leaders asked for in the Uluru Statement. And what you heard there is Scott Morrison doubling down on that position.
0: And remember when Mike Cannon-Brooks wanted to buy AGL? Mm, made and two bids. Made two bids generous to take bids. over. Very generous bids. Bold plans. <laughs> AGL said no, we're not going to let you take over. Yeah, he just went and bought 11% of the company.
1: Yeah, it's got a bit of an Elon Musk Twitter kind of vibe, but this is the Australian version. Maybe not quite as exciting, depending which sector you work in. So he's taken an 11% stake in AGL now, which is the biggest stake anyone has. So he wrote a letter to the board of directors last night saying, we fundamentally believe there can be a better future for AGL, a future that delivers cheap Clean and reliable energy for customers.
0: Yeah, so um, what Canon Brooks is trying to do here is to stop this demerger that would split off AGL's very carbon heavy power stations into this sort of new entity which would keep burning coal into the mid 2040s. He does not want that to happen. He has warned in the letter that he's written that a move like this would destroy shareholder value.
1: Yeah, and be bad for the environment, that which too. is a pretty key concern for him. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes, how much control he'll get over the company with this 11% share.
0: To go ahead, this plan requires approval from 75% of shareholder votes cast, right? But now that Mike Cannon-Brooks is holding 11% of the shares, he only needs a further 14% to oppose the split. So right. he's really brought that number down.
1: And US diplomats are planning to return to the capital of Ukraine as Russia abandons its offensive in the north of the country.
0: We very much hope that the conditions will permit us to go back into Kyiv by the end of the month. That was US charge d'affaires there, Christina Carveen. American diplomats were first sent to Lviv in Ukraine's east um, when everything sort of started kicking off before eventually evacuating after Russia invaded in February.
1: Did you just speak French?
0: Oh, I tried very hard. Parlez-vous
1: Francais, chasse
0: Charles de Oui, oui. <laughs> you know, the same thing happened with Aussie diplomats as well. They were evacuated from Kiev as well, again, two weeks before Russia invaded. So there are signs that things, I'm not going to say going back to normal, because that's really not happening at all, but a slow process at least to return to the capital.
1: And the home of Kath and Kim is being demolished this week. And a new two-story home is being built in its place. Two stories.
0: Oh no, not Chateau de Cath rebuilding a home that we're going to live in. We we were hoping that it might just sort of go by quietly, but it's amazing how these things these things get out. Are you telling me that Cath and Kim do not own this house?
1: <laughs> They're not still living there.
0: They're not. It's not their house. It's in fact the house of a woman named Jo Kelly. You just heard they're speaking on Channel 7.
1: Peter Rousthorne, who played Brett on the show, he doesn't seem to have a problem with this plan.
0: It was a weird house. If I brought it up, <laughs> I'd probably it down too. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> because, you know, it was a strange joint. Because it had really small, quite small rooms. Yeah, that was him on um, ABC Melbourne. Now, the ABC rented the four-bedroom house during the series run from 2002 to 2007 it wasn't in Fountain Lakes, as much as we want it to be. It was in the Melbourne suburb of Patterson Lakes.
1: And last sold in 2016 for $1.4 million. Not
0: bad. Good price.
1: All right, in just a moment, Annika Smethurst.
0: Annika Smethurst is here to discuss all things election campaign as we hit the midway point.
1: Hello, Annika. Hi, Tom and Jan. Great to have you back on the podcast. Now, when you speak, I listen. And you've said a few things about this election that have stuck in my mind. Now, one of them is that voters tune in for the first and the last week and get very bored in between. I can sense that feels like it's true right now. (laughs) The other thing is that hip-pocket economic issues are generally what decide Australian federal elections. And the other thing you've said, that Scott Morrison is very good at on-the-ground campaigning And that along with increased scrutiny on Labor, this would lead to a tightening in the polls during the campaign. Now, it feels like your predictions are more or less coming true, but we want to sort of get into what, if anything, is surprising you so far. So firstly, are you surprised that the coalition haven't been able to eat away at Labor's polling lead more than they have?
2: It has tightened, which I thought would happen, but it does seem that Labor are consistently in front. Now, a lot of people go, well, why should we believe the polls? They were wrong last time. I think with polling now, we just have to look at overall themes and Labor continue to be ahead and the coalition continue to trail. So I'm a little bit surprised that I guess that lead has continued. What I find interesting is that both parties actually have incredibly low votes. Like neither of them could win on their first preferences like across the board. They're both going to rely on preferences everywhere. It may be an independence, you know, who could end up deciding this thing. So it seems the major parties, although Labor ahead, are on the nose. I think people are jack with them. Now, we say this every election, and then people get into the polling booth, and overwhelmingly people do vote Labor or Liberal, and that still will be the case. But it does seem to be continuing to drop off, and you only need a few percentage points each election to drop off, and that actually has a huge effect.
1: Yeah, my sense with the Scott Morrison's campaign advantages—the tight media messaging, the energetic appearances out in the community on the ground—that they they worked well for that first week, and he sort of had elbow on the ropes because of that increased scrutiny I mentioned before and his stumble. But at this point, it feels like that campaigning stuff stops making the news as much because it's so repetitive, and therefore Scott Morrison's advantages start to wane at this point. Is is that what's happening?
2: Look, I think that is the case. And there was an interesting article um, at some point in the first three weeks of this campaign asking cameramen, you know, the guys that travel around with these blokes asking who's easier to film, you know, who gets it. And they all went with Morrison, you know, he he knows the line to say when he's at a beer plant or, you know, <laughs> standing there with some drugs at a pharmacy, he'll shake it and hold it up to the cameras. It gets a good grab. That usually means, you know, it's not rocket science this, it's not sort of this, you know, inbuilt bias towards one or the other. You're a journo, you're a... TV journal, you need tight grabs. And he's very good at delivering them. Uh, he's good at delivering a line. And I think that does help. Like if you're watching the 6pm news every night, I think it's slightly more positive towards him on the commercials. Like he's always first and leading it. And it's often a Albanese he has been forced to or is in COVID. And look, he's had a bad few weeks. He, he was forced to sort of fix up some mistakes. And then he did have COVID. So I think in terms of that, the Prime Minister is getting better coverage because he's also sharper at it. Whether that matters though, I don't know as much now. Winning the 6pm news is important still and, you know, getting a good run in the tabloids and all the papers is obviously important. Maybe less so than we ever thought though.
0: There have been some surprising challenges for Morrison so far. So there's a bunch of them. I'm just going to rattle them off because they all seem to have kind of coalesced at the same time. There's the transgender Issues entering the campaign, trans women in sports. That's thanks to Catherine Deves, who's the a candidate. There's the Solomon Islands deal that China signed with the Solomon Islands that sort of has been touted as a threat to our national security. Um, there's the inflation figure and the chance of an interest rate rise happening today, in fact. There's the Queensland candidates, uh, Matt Canavan questioning the coalition's net zero policy. And then, of course, there's the independents who are really sort of building up steam. On their own, maybe, each issue might not be enough, but the fact that they're all happening at once and they're all happening now, are they causing a bit of a headache for Morrison and what sort of impact could they have?
2: Look, I think if before an election you asked uh, the treasurer Josh Frydenberg or the prime minister, what's the worst things that could happen, it would be interest rates going up and also inflation figures coming out that every you know we can't afford lettuces at the supermarket, and that's pretty much what's happened. So that's a very bad mix. Now, usually we say the coalition have this perception that they're better at being you know the economic managers, and people do fall into this, whether it's true or not. We could have a whole other show on that, but it does seem to be that voters think that the coalition can manage money, whether they like their personalities or not. For this to happen during a coalition government and 10 years of a coalition government, they can't blame too many people. Now, there are other factors at play. There's COVID, there's the Ukraine crisis, that we know all of this. But it is incredibly bad when people are at home and they want to pay for things and they go to the supermarket and it's hugely expensive and then make matters worse, their mortgage goes up. So. I think that's incredibly tough for the Coalition to win with those factors at play. The other stuff, look, I don't think it's helpful for Canavan to be intervening and saying things when the Libs are trying to hold on to some inner city blue ribbon seats, as we call them. I think that's really problematic. The trans stuff, I don't know how much it goes through. I know people were saying it's also going to make a difference in places like Wentworth and some of those inner city Koo and Goldstein. I don't know if it will. I do think that people that feel strongly about this issue probably were never going to vote for the Prime Minister in the first place. So that one less so, but definitely the economic stuff and to a smaller extent in those inner city states where they're trying to win back moderate Liberals, I think the, the intervention by Matt Canavan about Net Zero, terribly problematic. All right. Well,
1: let's hone in on the interest rates. They could go up at 2.30 today. And the commentary so far seems to point towards that hurting the Morrison government more than Labor. But I do wonder if some people feel that financial fear when this happens and go back to those old perceptions that you talked about of the coalition being better economic managers. I mean, how do you see this playing out? What's the voter psychology here?
2: Look, I think that has an element of truth there, Tom, that people do get scared and then their old sort of biases sort of kick in and they go, oh, well, you know, we don't want to risk labour. They introduce taxes and all these perceptions that comes with labour. But I think the problem for the coalition is they've been in charge during this. They've also been in charge for a decade. We're not talking a one-term government now. So it's very hard for them to shake the idea that they haven't had anything to do with this. Now, another one, of course, is nobody's had a wage rise in about a million years at the moment. And I think that's problematic too, because that's a pressure that they're feeling. Anyone that promises anything on wages, I think it's incredibly hard to deliver and Labor is promising to try and do something about it. But if you're out there not being able to, you know, make ends meet and you've got one party saying we're going to try and at least do something about wages, whether we can or not, I think, you know, that might start to resonate and tick through. So. You're right. It's not necessarily like, you know, things are going up, the current government are responsible. I think there is a different sort of a nuance to this because of the coalition's perception that they're better economic managers. But you know, people are really struggling and both parties really effectively are not delivering on these things. You look at the stuff they've done, a little bit cheaper medicine, they're gonna help people buy houses. They're not really the issues. Things like, you know, beef have gone up like nearly doubled in ten years. The things that are like driving this are very hard to play with. As I said the other one's wage growth and I don't know how many of their policies are actually going to make people feel better when they go to the supermarket or have to pay their mortgage.
0: Okay. What are your thoughts on the Teal independence? Just moving on to another thing that's giving the major parties a bit of a headache, particularly the Liberal Party. There's four electorates in particular. They're all pretty wealthy inner city electorates. Wentworth, North Sydney in New South Wales. And then there is Goldstein and Kuyong in Melbourne. Now, Yong is Josh Frydenberg's seat. He is the treasurer he has admitted that he is in the fight of his life over this. What do you see happening there? Look, I think some will get up. I think Tim Wilson's in real strife in Goldstein
2: um, against Zoe Daniel. I think she's a sharp candidate. Uh, she's well-known too. She's already got a profile and half the problem is going in with the profile. If you're unknown, it's very difficult. So I think Goldstein I'd be worried about. And Dave Sharma also. We've seen an independent get up in Karen Phelps before in Wentworth. And Allegra Spender comes with a little bit of a name too. So I think he's in a little bit of a strife. I still think, and I'm happy for you to play this back after the election, (laughs) Josh Frydenberg might get there. He is the treasurer. You can't turn on morning television without seeing his head. I've observed Josh over about 10 years now, and he is everywhere in his local community. You know, he's not one of these MPs that goes to Canberra and kind of forgets about them. He's in his local paper all the time. He's everywhere in those seats. And I don't know if you've driven through some of those uh, well-to-do suburbs in Melbourne's east, but... They still seem like Liberal voters to me. I think Mon is going to make it really hard for him. And I think that's why we saw those pieces in the weekend papers, you know, because he doesn't want people to take it for granted that he's going to win. He's worried. I think he has right to be worried. But I think he might just get there.
0: What do you reckon it says about the Liberal Party, though, if it does cede the moderate vote to independence? Like, who does the party become for and doesn't move further to the right? Look, I think this
2: is problematic, and I'm not going to tell people how to vote, but people that are angry about the Liberal Party and how they've sort of developed the the perception, that, especially in their seats, that they're not a centre-right party anymore, that they're a Conservative Party, are taking their vote and voting for independence. In doing so, we're going to make the Liberal Party more a step to the right. Now, Dave Sharma wrote a really interesting piece in his local paper about this, saying it'll become the Republican Party. And even just think, here's a hypothetical, the coalition loses who's going to become the leader if Josh Frydenberg doesn't win his seat or even if he just wins it? It basically means Peter Dutton's probably going to get it, which really is a different Liberal Party, you know, to, I guess, Liberal Parties of old. Now, a lot of people would argue that's not the case. He nearly won, you've got to think, only a handful of votes off being Prime Minister last time. So there's a lot of people in his party that do like him. But I think there is a problem that how the Liberal Party go forward If they lose a lot of these moderates, who is in that room when they're having those internal fights about issues to stand up and go, just wait, we still have some voters in these areas that feel this way about climate change or this way about gay marriage. If you're getting rid of all of those, it's not the broad church that Menzies said it was, (laughs) all these sort of, you know, we always hear about the Liberal Party. It actually is going to become, I, I guess, edge to the right. And that's very hard to then win and be a party of government in a country where you have compulsory voting.
1: So, Annika, final question, who's going to win?
2: (laughs) You asked me that. Yeah, I mean, you've
0: made some bold predictions and they've come true, Annika, (laughs) so so you better get this one right, mate, because we're going to check in with you in three weeks.
2: (laughs) I'm going to get it wrong. Look, I've changed my mind ten times through this campaign. I thought Labor had it at the start and then Elvo sort of had a shocker and then got the COVID. So, look, I think you can't ignore the polling. I think Labor are in prime position. What I think will happen, I can't see either of them getting to 76, 77 seats that they need to win outright. Whenever I do a little count in my head, I'm thinking, well, I don't know. So it probably will come down to independence. Now, there might not be many of them. We remember those three in that Gillard, you know, for weeks we had three people, four people waiting to decide who was going to lead out of Gillard or Tony Abbott. So it could come down to something like that. But I do think if we're in that scenario a lot of those independents, even though they're in Liberal seats, are probably going to end up backing Albo because they talk about two things, Integrity Commission and doing more on climate change. And I think if he can deliver those, he's going to win over the independents. So maybe a Labor minority government, but who knows? I have no idea. I have no idea, but it's very exciting for people like me. I love election season. <laughs>
1: That was our very own Annika Smethurst, and um, yeah, it was interesting, Jen, it sounds like a few things have surprised Annika, and to hear that she's been sort of swinging one way or the other was interesting, and that she reckons now that it's probably Labor, but in minority government and needing support from the independents, so sounds like a pretty good Mm. prediction.
0: A big call. She doesn't normally tend to make calls, but, you know, we're going to have to hold her to account here. I wonder if she'll be better than Bert the Crocodile, who predicted elections in the NT. Or
1: Paul the (laughs) (laughs) All right, tomorrow on the show, Jan, we're talking about...
0: We're talking about you, babe. We're talking about you and the book that you have written.
1: Yeah, tomorrow's launch day, so, um, yeah, we're going deep on my book, Speaking in Tongues, which will be um, interesting.
0: It will Indeed. listener